Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Who's the first person you think of in the morning when you wake up? You. Am I right? It's all about me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity, as one called it. I think only of myself, and in so doing, I think more highly of myself. And that's the cause. And that's the problem. This is In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ephesians. Humility. Does the word alone make you cringe? (laughs) Growing in humility is something probably all of us say we can do. Pastor J.D. teaches today that humble people are gentle, patient, long-suffering, and united. When our pride rears its ugly head, it's showing others they are less valuable than we are. Let's be people of humility. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ephesians chapter 4 with part 1 of his message, Be Completely Humble. The book of Ephesians chapter 4, our text today will be verses 2 through 6. The Apostle Paul is writing by the Holy Spirit to the church there in Ephesus, and he says, verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, verse 4, one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Boy, that says it all right there, doesn't it? (laughs) I want to talk to you today about humility. I chuckle because there's nothing more for a pastor difficult than talking about being humble. (laughs) I know in my own life, I am very proud of my humility. (laughs) I'm also very humble about my pride. And uh, the thing about humility is one... When you think that you're being humble, you blew it because (laughs) then pride sets in because I'm so humble. (laughs) Not anymore, you're not. But I want to talk about being completely humble and what being completely humble will look like in the life of a Christian. And with that, also the life of a healthy church. By way of a preface to today's teaching, I need to point out that we can't do humble. We must be humble. 
I'm sure you've heard the quip about Jesus' sermon and how that they're not called the do attitudes, they're called the be attitudes. Because being humble is not something we do. Certainly we do humble things, but being humble is who we are. You can't manufacture this plastic humility. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. The thing about humility that's important to understand is that being humble will be proportionate to how much we realize that God has done for us in his love for us. In other words, when we realize how gentle God's been with us, how gracious and merciful and patient, oh my goodness, how patient has God been with you and with me? How long-suffering, how loving. When I realize that I've been on the receiving end of this from God, then I'm more prone to respond in kind towards others. That's where our text comes in today. I found four, you might find more, but I found four characteristics of humility that to me are evidenced in the life of a believer. And the first one is found in the first part of verse 2, and it's that humble people are gentle people. Let me parenthetically and quickly say again by way of a preface that we do err greatly when we make synonymous meekness with weakness. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know what meekness is? It's strength and power under control. It takes more strength and more power to be meek. You see, and certainly Jesus, God incarnate, fully God, fully man, in all of his meekness possessed all of that power. Never think for a second that And and never paint on the canvas of your mind this picture of meekness being the same as being weak. It is the opposite that is true. And what Paul is saying here, basically, is that when we are completely humble, the result will be that we'll also be very gentle. I think you would agree with me when I say this, but... People who are humble are gentle. And I'll flip it around the other way and say that people who are proud are harsh. Would you agree with that? I think of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in the area of Galatia. Chapter 6, verse 1, he said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, not harshly, gently. And then he says this, interesting, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Tempted to do what? To think more highly of yourself than you ought? 
We're going to talk about that. The second one is in the second part of verse 2, and it's that humble people are patient people. Here again, it goes both ways, such that humble people are patient, whereas proud people are impatient. See, when we're impatient with people, like in traffic, <laughs> oh, I think I struck a chord there. I'm not speaking of myself. I'm a, I never get in the flesh in traffic, especially on the way to church. <laughs> Actually, my recurring nightmare, you know how you have those recurring nightmares? You know what my recurring nightmare is? You know, when I was a kid, it was always that I showed up at school in my pajamas. Did you have those? Well, now my recurring nightmare is that somebody's going to cut me off in traffic, and then I'm going to, you know, you know how it is, right? You pull out and, you know, you, you just give them a stink eye and let them know, you know, you, how dare you cut me off. I'm on my way to church, right? And, uh, you know, praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that how it is, right? In the, in the car, our sanctification flees from us until we pull into the church parking lot. <laughs> And then it returns <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> but my recurring nightmare is that, you know, I, I pull out, give them stink eye, cut them off, let them know. And then I, on my way, I, I go and make my way to church. I pull into the parking lot and find my parking spot. And sure enough, they pull in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hi, Pastor. Oh. <laughs> Enough of my problems. Let's talk about your problems with pride. But isn't that what we say when we're impatient? What we're saying is, I'm more important than you. And my time is more important than yours. How dare you do that to me? I'm going to make a statement, and I was thinking about this this last week, and I was, I was trying to superimpose the template of truth in it over every area of my life to see if it fit, and it did, <laughs> in some ways, much to my conviction. Here's the statement. If you could somehow, some way, Remove the component of pride from your marriage relationship, from your parenting relationship, from every aspect of your life. It would change your life in ways that you could never imagine. Let me be more specific in the context of marriage. If you could somehow... Remove pride from the equation of marriage, if I can say it that way, for lack of a better way of saying it. Marital conflict would virtually be eliminated. If you could eliminate pride, you could eliminate virtually all conflict in the marriage relationship. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, sound judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He echoes this in his uh, epistle to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis said in his defining of humility. He says it best this way. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Think about that. (laughs) Not too much. (laughs) Lest you think of yourself too much. (laughs) But isn't that what you and I do? Who's, come on, who's the first person you think of in the morning when you wake up? You? Am I right? It's all about me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity, as one called it. I think only of myself, and in so doing, I think more highly of myself. And that's the cause. And that's the problem. And it's no wonder that I'm impatient with others that I value less than myself. Well, this brings us to the third one, which is in the third part of verse 2. And it's that humble people are loving people. I know that this might seem at first to be a firm grasp of the obvious, but Paul is talking about just one aspect of a multifaceted love in that humble people manifest love by long-suffering. This, of course, echoes what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in that famous chapter that we all love, a favorite of all of ours, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll just read verses 4 through 7. He writes, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Wow. I remember many years ago, as a young Christian, I heard this taught this way. Take and put your name in the place of love. And see how far you get. I'll do this just 
and you can put your name in there. But let's see how far I get. JD is patient. Right there, that's it. I just, <laughs> he got me right at the first one. <laughs> I am so impatient. Humility is the fuel in the tank of patience. Humility is the fuel in the tank of love. And you can take that and spread it out across the board. Applicable to every aspect of love. Well, our fourth and final one is in verse 3. And it's huge, actually. (laughs) It's that of humble people being united people. I want you to notice something in verse 3. It's not so easily seen at first read, but notice where Paul says we're to make every effort to keep the unity. Why does he say that that way? He says, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why does he say keep it? Because we don't create unity in and of ourselves. The Holy Spirit does. However, we are to keep that unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The implication being that we have the potential to disrupt it and lose it, which is why Paul says, keep the unity. Don't lose the unity. What do you mean? Well, it's sad because in our spiritual pride and arrogance, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, we do the exact opposite. And in so doing, we divide and destroy said unity that we're told to keep instead. James says it best and very bluntly. You got to love James. I mean, this is the half-brother of Jesus the Christ born subsequently to Joseph and Mary. How would you like to grow up having your half-brother be perfect? (laughs) I mean, God incarnate is your half-brother. Are you kidding me? And and when you read the book of James, it it really comes out. Because, I mean, he pulls no punches. I mean, he's just up in your grill (laughs) and says it like it is. And I love James. I kind of have a, I hate to say it this way, a love-hate relationship with James because it is so convicting. Listen to what he says in chapter 4. I want to read verse 1 and verses 5 and 6 so that you can be as convicted as I am. (laughs) You ready? Here it goes. Verse 1. He asked this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Let me ask the same question this way. What causes the fights and the striving and the divisions amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Selfish desires? Self-seeking motives? 
motives that are birthed out of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And by the way, please know that this is in the context of pride, as we're going to see here in a moment. Verse 5, he asks rhetorically this question. Do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. One of the most dramatic pictures in my mind of my God is this. And it's pretty intense. It's this this image that I have in my mind of God opposing me, (laughs) resisting me. The proverb says he knows the proud from afar off. Says, like, get away from me. I hate pride. I cannot even be in the same presence where there is pride. It is disgusting to me. Get away from me. Listen, I I have a lot of things opposing me. The last person (laughs) that I want opposing me is God himself. But he opposes me when I'm proud. He's he's against me. (laughs) When I'm harboring an attitude of pride, he's against me. He's not for me. He opposes me. And... If that weren't bad enough, he's afar off from me. He's so distant from me. And conversely, when I'm humble, oh. Wouldn't the opposite, wouldn't it stand to reason that the opposite would be true? So instead of opposing me, now he's for me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Right? And if I'm being humble, and if it's the opposite of knowing me from afar when I'm proud, does that mean that he's near to me, close with me? Absolutely. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. We want unity in the truth of God through the Spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ. For this is the best way of promoting unity. And then he says this, and I want you to listen very carefully. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love for the Savior. After we accept Jesus into our lives, we start a journey of faith with Him. We don't always grow in our faith, though. Pastor J.D.'s messages in the book of Ephesians encourage us to continually seek to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with our Savior. We can't get comfortable and complacent in our walks. By spending time with other believers, diving into the Word, and spending time in communication with Jesus, we'll continue to grow closer to Him. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor J.D. Farag's teaching today. We'd like to tell you how you can access additional messages. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. 
Take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. This app is free and provides you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and even the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mid-East Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. looks into the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Join us on Facebook as well and keep up to date on everything that's happening at In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Ephesians next time on In Spirit and Truth.